Hi there, listener. It's Matthew. You've come looking for an episode of the Children's Book Podcast, and you've found it. Hooray! But you're probably wondering why the name of the podcast has changed. After eight years of doing the Children's Book Podcast, I began a new career as head of podcasts at A Kid's Company About, where I now oversee a podcast network dedicated to producing original content that talks up to kids, centers the things going on in their world, and engages and challenges how they see the world and themselves. All of the episodes of the Children's Book Podcast are still here, but now, if you're subscribed, you'll get new episodes of Worth Noting, a kid's podcast about current events, hosted by me. Something for you and the young people in your life to enjoy together. Enjoy this episode, and I hope you'll check out Worth Noting and other podcasts from a kid's company about... Support for the Children's Book Podcast comes from listeners like you. Keep up the awesome. I see you, and I'm grateful you're listening. Yeah, I keep thinking of it in terms of uh, just meeting this moment. I want to meet this moment. And the moment, as just as we experience our days the moment changes all day long constantly yeah and and we're evolving so quickly or trying to evolve so quickly and inform one another's um i learn so much every day right now because i'm i'm voraciously taking in information and i was before but not at this pace and not at this volume we're all here for social justice We're all here for liberation. This is the Children's Book Podcast, episode number 603. I'm your host, Matthew Winner. Today I'm joined by Anastasia Higginbotham. Anastasia's Ordinary Terrible Things book series has taken on the topics of divorce, death, and sex, using straightforward language and respecting the reader with each page. Her most recent entry in the series is called Not My Idea, a book about whiteness, And it has been one of my most talked about books ever since a colleague shared it with me at the beginning of this school year. Anastasia talks at length about the work that went into creating this book, laying the art from found materials, handwriting the text, and crafting the story around her own experience of processing racial injustice and white supremacy. It's an absolutely exceptional book and one that provides the necessary space and language for confronting whiteness and working against the historic and ongoing oppression of black men, women, and children. Please welcome my guest, Anastasia Higginbotham, author and illustrator of Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. My name is Anastasia Higginbotham. I use the pronouns she and her. I work, um, I, I am an artist, author, and activist. I make children's books on very difficult subjects, but that for me are the most interesting subjects of all as a parent and as a human being. Um, my book series is called Ordinary Terrible Things, and the titles are Divorce is the Worst, Death is Stupid, Tell Me About Sex, Grandma, and Not My Idea, a book about whiteness. I make these books on recycled 
paper and with materials that were on their way to recycling or the garbage. Um, I use grocery bag paper as my background because it's the prettiest and toughest paper. And it's free and available and um, I, I really enjoy the look and feel of it. I also associate grocery bags with all things nourishing and I would like my readers to see the books as something that's going to nourish them and feed their curiosity and feed their sense of um, worthiness. And I also appreciate the association with uh, the brown paper bag as covering forbidden information. Um, and I think that children deserve to be told the truth about important things that are affecting them, even if we consider them adult topics or serious grown-up topics. Um, children are experiencing divorce, death, sex, um, curiosity about sex and sexuality uh, emerging in their own bodies in, in some form, um, and also having an experience of race that is very much real and alive for them in childhood, and I, I work to acknowledge that with the images and the words that I provide in the books. I'm so glad you're here, and I want, <laughs> I'm like smiling, thinking already <laughs> of this impossible question, which is, is, what in life has helped you to see children the way you see them? And I more mean that maybe rhetorically. Yeah. I more mean I can hear how you see them, Anastasia. And I've read your mm. books, and I love how you are frank with children and respectful mm -hmm. with children. Really, it's what I'd like to think all great treat all great teachers strive mm -hmm. to be. I wonder where what informs that in you. Mm. You know, I think what informs it is that I remember vividly what it felt like to be a child. It didn't leave me somehow. And uh, it's not like I consider myself a big grown, grown up child, you know, like that experience just has stayed really vivid. And I remember what it felt like to be respected and treated with um, a lot of care and interest. I remember how good it felt when adults were interested in my opinions and excited about what I was showing them not in a performative way, just in a, this is just me existing and this is the picture I drew or this is the words that I put in the paper or this is the way I choose to describe, you know, what's, or, or answer a question in class. And when adults would look back at me as if that was, and I was real and, and worth listening to, that felt so good to me. And the, um, and the alternate experience of being really d thoroughly dismissed or just like look in my eyes and lie to me, you know, from a teacher or um, the kind of casually cruel ways that some adults treat children has also really stuck with me. And I, um, and I want to get in the way of that for children in my children's books. And I didn't grow up reading a lot of children's books. I had maybe... A couple that I read, my family was not particularly about reading. Um, we helped my mother cook. We helped 
with chores. We did lawn work with her, landscaping, and um, I'm one of five children, so there was a lot of work, and we were all involved in it. So books were not my thing, but as an adult, I really came to love children's books that do have that respectful and generous approach to children's vibrancy and um, and validity. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Integrity? <laughs> so I would respond to that as an adult and be like, God, I never, you know, I didn't, I didn't even know this existed and, and found that very in- inspiring. Can I also add the word dignity? I feel like mm. a lot of your work respects their dignity, respects their experiences and, and, and communicating that, well, like you do in not my idea saying that that whiteness and white supremacy is is everybody's problem and it's also not real but mm. because because we've made decisions based on it it's solidified this idea and and mm. to allow children the space as well as the adults reading to them the mm. space and the language that i think with all of your books, that space and language are two things that are hard to come by because we don't know how to talk about these things, perhaps because they weren't talked about. Mm-hmm. And so giving language like that, I find uh, very powerful in your book. And I also have to say, mm-hmm. when when my friend Zakai, when my colleague Zakai shared this year, I told you that I was at off recording, I was saying I was at this new school this year. Uh, and he and I became close friends and co-conspirators. And when he mm. said, have you seen this book yet? Um, not only did he and I go on this rabbit hole of checking out your Instagram and on this and on that, <laughs> but as we sat with Not My Idea, Anastasia, we went spread by spread and said, you could teach this book one spread at a time. And mm. it's so dense and and so I think thoughtfully written and paced. So why don't, if you don't mind, why don't you walk us into how you wrote Not My Idea? Because it's clear to me that it it has been written with a lot of reflection. I also know Mm. there's a note that a number of people helped you with this book and that Mm. um, it's dedicated to the Brooklyn Free School. So I I imagine Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things coming into this. Can Can you share a little bit of that with us? Yes, I'm so happy to hear the way you describe it and that teaching it spread by spread is is exactly my intention and my highest aspiration for the book. Um, Yes, black women educators at my children's school, which focuses specifically on an anti-racist curriculum and an anti-racist approach to all things involved in running a school. Um, that is what brought me into my own understanding of whiteness. Now, I had always been really since, since childhood, very focused on justice and, um, the intersections of race and class and gender and all of that really made sense to me in college. And I, I studied that on purpose and, um, 
there were no there were no bumps there were no stumbling blocks just in terms of that understanding how all these issues are related and um and yet it was uh, my son's teachers at the brooklyn free school in particular nolika anderson radway who made me aware of my own power as a white woman in a, in a brand new way. And it was really like being in a room where we're all here for social justice, right? We're all here for liberation. And, um, and it was almost as if they asked me, as if Nalika asked me to just step outside of the room for a moment and come back in through the whites only door, kind of, and not in a way that was meant to degrade me at all, but in a way that was meant to, to help me place myself find myself geographically, demographically, and and see if anything looked different about the way that we were approaching anti-racism and, um, and the liberation of all people. So, and, and I found with her questions and her open, but really fiercely vigilant, um, unwavering, pro-black, deeply rooted in blackness and positivity and the, and the uh, potential there that my whole um, relationship to the work of social justice, to the work of anti-racism changed. So I'm not sure if I'm articulating that very well, but it was almost like as, as if um, instead of racism being something that I would pick up like it's beside me mm. and I pick it up and say, and I care about this too. You know, it became a something in the process of learning to see whiteness and learning to relate to my own power and what it means to be responsible about who I am and where I am located and what kind of, um, uh, what kind of impact I have in any room. Yeah. It, it, it changed it so that that I was really now suddenly I was lit from within with this and it was coursing through my body all of the time. It was no longer a th- something I cared about. It, it was my whole being just ignited. And, um, and it was, it was that put it back in your own body, get, get into that experience of I'm white I walk into the room I stomp my feet and it's like a giant was there Mm. and um and what's that about and that you know and it changed the way I really literally it changes the way I walk down the street and I don't walk down the street cowering or trying to make myself small but there is a different degree of uh precision to my movements now that have to do with uh, how I occupy space as a person who presents as white, who passes as white, who is seen by white, by uh, seen as white by the bank and the school and the doctor and the um, the lady in the park and you know whoever whoever is uh, I've lost my train of thought, but. Well, I'm hearing you, but and, that's what, and, and and that that's lens, yeah, that lens uh-huh. through which you're you're viewing things, as opposed to, 
I don't know, some, some general interest that we, we all say, like, I, I love puppies and I love small children and I am against racism versus what it looks like to not only, um, be living out a value that you hold, but also to be viewing the world through a lens on which you have an impact because of the the the, the very color of your skin. Mm-hmm. Being aware that your posturing, the way you word things, the way you communicate to someone else, whether you're interrupting them or giving them space or all of the things, all have context and an impact. That becomes, I think, so I think about the the path that I'm on. And I, I can't mm-hmm. speak to where you are or what has influenced you. I can obviously only speak to me and the growth that I know I still need to go through. But <clears throat> I know, Anastasia, that no one could have told me or maybe that I wasn't ready to hear mm. what what problematic ways I was I was walking through the world. It was something that I had to mm. notice myself and and experience conviction toward in order to want to change it in order to be aware and want want to change it and it sounds like um you as well are in that place of of really thinking critically about what does it mean for me to step into this space and to use my voice or to just be present Hello, my beautiful book nerds. I want to tell you about a special book club I'm running on Patreon that I think you'll really enjoy. For $25, you can receive one book per month from a title featured on the podcast. Books are hand-selected in partnership with BrainLayer Bookstore. They ship anywhere in the U.S. and Canada, shipping included, and are also accompanied by a special book club mini-podcast episode available to all patrons at this tier, breaking down just what makes this book so special so set apart. You love children's books. You love independent bookstores. You love this podcast. Let's combine all of that into one awesome piece of mail each month that can be enjoyed over and over for many months to come. The feature book we picked for July is When Stars Are Scattered, an exceptional middle grade graphic novel from Newbery Honor winning Victoria Jameson and Omar Mohammed. It tells Omar's true story of growing up in a refugee camp in Kenya moving, truthful, and a powerful testimony of what it means to be family. And if you haven't picked it up yet, this is the perfect chance. Visit matthewcwinner.com and click on Patreon at the top of the page, or use the link in the show notes to access Patreon if you feel like it's a good time for you and where you're at right now. And if it's not, sharing the podcast with friends over social media, word of mouth, or any other means still goes a long way. Thanks for listening, for sharing, for allowing me into your ears and your laundry folding and your dog walking and your dishwashing and your day. I love every minute of it. You know, the something that's really profound about this is I, I think my relationship to my whiteness before this occurred, before Nolika got to me, was one of um, 
I did have a lot of self-hatred. And uh, I did think that it was, that racism was a personal failing rather than a structural conditioning. And it can be both, of course, but the structural conditioning is not to be underestimated. And um, I, I have... My work has been portrayed, the Not My Idea, a book about whiteness and the book tour and the kinds of things I say to children has been portrayed only by, you know, the most, um, the people most invested in preserving uh, the lie of white superiority as, as, as um, she's trying to get white children to hate themselves. To hate themselves. And, um, I've heard that before. Yeah. Right. And, and, and my experience is I don't even shrug that off. I can't roll my eyes at it because I'm like, no, no, no. You don't realize it's the opposite. This is the only way that I can I can see that a white a child who presents as white is going to be able to love themselves in a culture that is based on anti-blackness. You, you can't, you can only love yourself in your skin when you know that you are for everyone. And, and you're, to be caught up in and um, complicit in a system that oppresses and dominates and controls and, and kills and endangers black and brown people as as it's um, as a matter of course, as a matter of like the rule of law, as it, it's that you can't be white in that system and still love yourself. I, I think, and and this, um, I may not be conveying very clearly, but Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams does convey this very very clearly, and um, she has an article, an essay out right now in Lion's Roar, about this aspect of this, which is rooted in love and rooted in my own liberation is only, liberation is only possible if I liberate myself from this system of white supremacy. And if I sign off from whiteness and and make conscious choices about living in anti-racist ways, in all the small ways, in all the big ways that I possibly can, then love becomes very, very possible. And not only love from myself, but love in this, this uh, giving and receiving is all the same thing. And, and I'm in connection with this, stepped into this flow of, and legacy of anti-racism, because there have always been people like you, Matthew, and there have always been people like me who were not, it didn't sit right with us. And we were on the side of being the one with, imbued with too much power. And, um, there have always been people who rejected that and who followed the leaders of, of black liberation and who listened to indigenous people talk about their experiences and believed it and stepped into that flow. And um, the more we tell kids that part of the story and invite them there, then they can have all that belonging and all that love that is part of being that in that community. Does that make sense? It does. And it actually brings up to me I apologize that we're not talking directly about your book. I'm loving what we're talking oh, about, okay. but okay, I, it, 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 it reminds me too of 
what I perceive as this feeling that this is a new thing. You can do this. You can be anti-racist. Let's go, let's do this thing together instead of backing up mm. and, and, and affirming that people have been doing this work for a long, long time and they have been mm. persecuted and they have been arrested and they have been sidelined and they have been silenced, but that hasn't stopped them from doing this work mm. and that mm. we shouldn't, we white people should not at all be stepping into this in any way thinking that we're doing something new or that we mm-hmm. are, mm-hmm. I'm, 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 I'm hesitant even to have people think that they're, they're part of any sort of change to step in now because that change has been working for a long, mm. long time. You're just waking up to it now. And that's not yeah. bad that you're waking up to it now. It's great that you're waking up to it now, but it's not new. And so as you're saying, we need to be very mindful of those that have come before us and the, the, the work and the time and, and in some cases the lives that they've given mm-hmm. for yeah. this work of liberation. I love that you said that we can only liberate ourselves, but in liberating ourselves from that system of white supremacy, then we're able to do this work. You have this great quote in the back of your book that reads, there's many quotes. I'm going to read to you a lot today. Mm. (laughs) But you have this great quote that reads, you can be white without signing on to whiteness. And I feel Mm -hmm. like that ties directly into what you were just saying. This this white guilt, this, oh, white kids are now going to, what, hate themselves for who they are? Mm. Is that really why we've not been telling them the truth? Because we're afraid (laughs) white people are going to... Hurt, like, hate themselves like are we are we asking us the flip side of the questions to the accusations we're making who are we protecting and why do we think that that we need to protect them mm-hmm. it's just there's, there's there's a lot of absurdity i think when you yeah. start to step back and and question what what media has fed you what people have fed you what what well, mm-hmm. let me let me back up this way, Anastasia, because we we, mm-hmm. we do come from the way I think I'd like to word it from 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 how I'm going to try to articulate it is this notion of coming from a place of love, but that love can do damage. Your mm. your text begins <clears throat> when grownups try to hide scary things from kids. It's usually because they're scared too, mm. and that opening to this this book that opening where a a, a parent uh, a female presenting parent is is looking at the television um, where we see a hand holding a gun um this this adult is covering their eyes and and the child is asking what not again what's going on what you know asking who why is the policeman screaming why who is that person with their hands up um this experience where where a parent Mm -hmm. tries to protect the child in the way they feel they know best, perhaps because that's how they were taught. They were taught to um, shield a child from violence, to focus on colorblindness, to focus on love, to focus on these messages that, that I see and and you (laughs) affirm in your book, take away from the the dignity and the the humanity of other people, mm. specifically those people of color, and in this case, especially black people who are oppressed by every every aspect of the systems 
that we have set up to function in society, those systems that mm -hmm. function to serve white people and their comfortableness and their safety. Mm -hmm. We leave ourselves out of the story. We're like, look at those terrible things happening over there to those people. I feel sad about that. It's like, oh my gosh, way to just abdicate responsibility for any of this at all. That's We're all the here. language, abdicating responsibility. Yes. We're standing right here. Like those, those images of um, the, the firemen, the civil rights protests, images of the, the firemen with the hoses. It's like, it's from the perspective of the firemen. And so we see the people being hurt by that water. And, and, and I am, I just want us to talk about that fireman. What the heck was he thinking? Truly, and I don't mean that, I, I mean, what were you thinking? Did you think you were helping? Did you question your orders that day, even internally? Did you, um, I, we, we leave ourselves out of what's happening, like, well, you know, uh, people will explain racism to their children this way. They will say, well, you know, black people are discriminated against. Black people um, are experiencing a disadvantage. You know, by whom? From whom? Right. It's all people. People make up the system. So I think when it's liberating to a child and it's a relief to a child, as it is to adults, to find out, these are decisions that are being made, very ordinary, mundane decisions at a bank or by a, a fireman or an EMT person or the person in, doing admissions at the ER, the person just walking down the street and the sidewalk. It's, we're all making choices that either affirm this current reality of exploitation and domination and the lie of, white, the, the lie of whites being supreme or we counteract that narrative. And that means counteracting the whole, really the whole system then. Because once you do that, you're, you, you're on another, you're out on another side. You're, you're on another thing entirely because it's all wrapped up with capitalism and patriarchy. And yeah. you know, it, it, so once you go, man, you're gone. And you sign off from whiteness, that's signing off from a lot of things. But we can, each of us sign off and then and then be part of what is the reinvention. Yeah. Um, one of the most profound um, pieces of information that I learned through um, some undoing racism seminar in Anastasia, and perhaps you've heard this too before, is that each of our systems in America, each of our systems, the healthcare system, the education system, the uh, police and fire and all of these different systems, each and every system in our country one was formed to benefit to protect white people mm. and mm -hmm. two all of those systems are functioning even today exactly the way they were intended they are running mm. perfectly by their design mm -hmm. and so to think about systems and what it means to as you're saying that the whiteness is is everybody's problem it's it you can uh, and, and and that language of signing off to whiteness that you mm -hmm. are a part of a system so when you are able to recognize how is this system functioning and is is the decision that i'm making 
maintaining, protecting that system, protecting the oppressor, or is it seeing and acknowledging and protecting the oppressed? Mm -hmm. That is a question that I don't feel like we learn or that typically Mm -hmm. we do not learn. Um, At least as white people, we don't even learn to question things. We're just, well, of course the police are there to help, or of course, I mean, I don't know. It's it's bringing Mm -hmm. to attention one, the great, the great, um, sadness that I'm feeling that we're not with children right now, that this is summer break, and that hopefully this will be a time when teachers will be reflecting on how we can restructure and challenge the way we've taught children before when we return in August, because we've got some time off to be able to do that. But two, thinking about how we look at, for example, uh, what's happened with George Floyd and how there are people protesting to defund the police. There are people protesting to change laws for police officers that, for example, you might not have realized were in place, like that the use of excessive excessive force was okay before. And now Mm. we're putting in laws in some places to say, here is where the line is drawn. When you step back and even spend Mm. time with children thinking like, when a law is made, that means that it was okay before mm. to be able to right. ask like, what, why did we think this was okay? Anything in our society to think, why was this okay to think that black people right. can be paid less or that, th- that we can assume, I don't know. I'm thinking about like the, the um facial recognition technology that, that IBM and, and um, Apple has now withdrawn from being used by, uh, police forces because of the problems that they were recognizing with with how that facial recognition software was mm. unfair to black people that mm. it was mis misidentifying black people specifically <laughs> but yeah. again like it to to yeah. to recognize you're in a system where a, where you have to really work hard to get yeah. to the truth in some of this information. And then when you find the truth right away, whiteness is there to say, oh, that's a conspiracy. Oh, that information is not true. Oh, this happened or that happened mm-hmm. or doctoring photos. Mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many um, photos from, I will say from my family members I saw circulating about um, about vandalism happening in Washington, D.C. that wasn't mm-hmm. happening. <gasps> and to to be able to say this isn't, this isn't true. The Lincoln Memorial is not being destroyed and vandalized in the right. way that you're holding up this photo as mm-hmm. truth. What are we doing? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and, yeah, the distortions, even just wait, just even finding any way through the distortions is so uh, urgent. Yeah. The the fact that that... Our- those those those, yeah. those distortions are telling us those people aren't safe. Those people protesting, those black people who are fighting for liberation, the whomever whomever the those people are, it's the same as as you point out in your book, the same as mm-hmm. changing the channel when we hear mm-hmm. about demanding an end to killings and we hear about um, parents speaking up about police violence, um, Mm -hmm. locking your doors. That was something that I carried into my adulthood and I didn't realize Mm. why I was doing it. That when we, when we drove through certain neighborhoods, 
we would lock the doors. And so what did I do when I was an adult and I had kids? I would lock the doors. And it took Mm. me into adulthood to ask, why am I doing this? I'm doing this because I am afraid. What am I afraid of? I'm the most dangerous person to drive into a black neighborhood because I'm a white man. Right. And that's right. a, it, it's right. just to, to recognize where you are. You mm-hmm. write, understanding the truth takes courage, especially a painful truth about your own people your own family and you pair that on the next page of the same spread with a mom looking in the rearview mirror at her child who is processing some big thoughts and mom asks are you all right Mm -hmm. Uh, even that Mm -hmm. signaling a question that we can be asking children and Mm -hmm. saving space for them to answer us truthfully Mm -hmm. and asking each other too are you all right? Are you all right? And the kid's got this face that is unmistakable. I, I'm not all right. I don't have words for it. But, And she noted, you know, to her credit, she notices. But the mom, throughout the book, we see the mom sideways or caught. Mm. She's not quite there. The only person she really looks at with intense focus is the child and it's only when she's caught in the rearview mirror that she does that um and the child in this book is going to lead the mother to her own exploration of what it means to be white and um but where the book ends it's really the child is really on their own needing to question these things and um and connect with their own instincts about it. Uh, another thing that Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, um, she is a black Zen priest um, and a, pro- a modern day prophet and um, a friend from my early 20s. But she, she said to me when I showed her a draft that was nearly done, but I didn't actually know how far from done it was until she saw the draft and also another... Uh, writer and and uh, teacher named Loretta Ross gave me very critical feedback. Um, Reverend Angel said, you haven't prepared this white child for the rejection that they're going to face when they opt out of whiteness. Wow. When they start questioning white supremacy with their family. And you should have seen my face. I mean, you can imagine just like the, right. You haven't prepared right. I mean, this child. For the rejection that they will face. How profound is that? they start to question white supremacy with their family. Yeah. And that's why the child is alone at the end of the story. Um, and, and uh, you know, the, the love that was shown to me by um, the women, and, and, and I, know, I know what I'm describing here is... Uh, black women supporting a white woman to make uh, this this work that then the white woman's going to get credit for, right? So um, I, I mention, I'm, I'm just drawing attention to that because it was very much um, collaborative in this sense of, I need you, like, you know, Reverend Angel saying to me, I need you to make this 
I, I, and I need it. You're, and I trust you to make this book. And I'm looking at it with you and I'm telling you here, I want to see this here. I want to see this. And, and you know, that's it. It was like one, two, three, four notes, but that shifted my entire being in that moment, just because I had the, um, extreme pleasure and good fortune to be side by side with this person who has so much expertise and so much wisdom. And um, when I put that book in Reverend Angel's hands, once it was finished, um, she said, I feel like this is my book. I made this book. Mm. And she did in she, a way. I mean, she I, did. Yeah. I made, she did. She really did because she, her teachings, her her speaking into these times, her embodiment of love and justice, of, of justice is what love looks like in public, and, and the fact that there's no outer transformation if there isn't inner transformation, all of the ways in which her teaching and being um, informed my own personal uh, ability to just basically just even tolerate myself at first and then love myself and then love myself when that within a context of white supremacy being a person with uh in a white body um she, she made so much possible for me so that i could carry it out into the world and then and um i i don't know i i don't know if there's i need to say more than that you know and tony morrison's thing white people have a very serious problem and they should think about what they can do about it take me out of it. You know, that's in the epigraph of the book because I saw that interview where she said that to Charlie Rose and that was joyful moment for me to hear her say that and be given the responsibility to take care of this. You white woman sitting there listening to this interview, take care of this. And, and not in a mean spirited way, just like I, I am, I'm counting on you. Um, now go do it. Don't report back. You don't need to report back to me. I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. Go do this. Carry this out there. Go take the heat for it. Thank you. Go. Uh, you know, um, so that I just, it's, it's important to me to say that because I, it didn't, it didn't come out of nowhere and it didn't. Yeah. I, I, it, it, it brings to my attention that that thought of of as we're recording this what's going on a lot which is sort of reminding white folks over and over do not ask black people or any people of color for that matter but in this case black people what you can do to help mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. We have been told what we can do to help yeah. forever, and we didn't listen. Mm -mm. But, but, but two, just just listening. Period, to what mm -hmm. black people have been saying in their stories, in their music, in their teaching, in 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 their presence in in our lives, or mm -hmm. maybe the diminished mm -hmm. presence that we have given them. Um, mm -hmm. That Just that the, that listening the grace and stepping of that in. existence, the that, grace of that existence. Yes, the grace of that existence, com uh, completely apart from and in spite of me and my whiteness over here. 
Yeah. And then, and, and like you're saying, it's a wonderful opportunity to decenter myself. I love to decenter myself. De-center. It's like my favorite thing to do. <laughs> and like you're saying from from Reverend Angel Kyoto Williams, to listen and then go do. Yeah. And be willing to take whatever heat for it, because white supremacy is not going to like that you're doing this. You are disrupting Mm -hmm. a system that is functioning perfectly. It does not Mm -hmm. want to be disrupted. There are people making money off of this, people making Mm -hmm. a living, making big houses and great deals and presidencies and whatever off of this. Mm -hmm. You are going to be disrupting that. Mm -hmm. And so go do it yourself. Mm-hmm. And that... part of the doing, and part of the doing is doing is 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 being um, devastated. Yeah. By what you didn't know that you didn't know. And sitting and, with and, it, right? Would you and, say that yep. that it's yep. going to be uncomfortable, and you have to just keep sitting with it? Because our natural inclination is to make things better. I think about in my experience, and even as my experience as a parent, but in my experience as a child, how often we're so quick to make things better. You're uncomfortable. Let me make that better for you. Mm. And not that that has to be just a Mm -hmm. white experience, but it is certainly an experience that has informed much of the way I would say that I don't like things to be uncomfortable, but that Mm -hmm. that is something I've had to work really Mm -hmm. hard on to say, wow, I feel really awful right now. This is really Mm -hmm. weighing on me and I'm just going to bear witness to it. I'm just going to live it and breathe it and affirm that it's there. Mm-hmm. And and I think children are already see the, the uh, another um, another lie that whiteness tells us is that children are comfortable white children are comfortable with the way things are until we tell them about racism and then they're very uncomfortable. But I I remember being a child and being very uncomfortable, and and what I feel now is um, unburdened from guilt, but entrusted with responsibility and it's an entirely different experience that i get to bring a lot of energy and joy and courage to as opposed to the scared silence that happens around not knowing why this unfairness exists catching little snippets of conversation and little glimpses of reporting on the television and knowing as a white child, you know, born into this time, something's wrong, something's terribly wrong. Like the child in the book senses and, and feels the, the vibrations of the injustice, the grave harm. I know that what that police officer did was wrong, the child says in, toward the end of the book. Um, without the information to give the historical context, that does feel treacherous. There is no comfort there. Mm. So to me, it's, it's, comfort would, would then, in a sense, never be the goal because um, inside of that not knowing is a lot of uh, dis-ease and not being comfortable in your skin and and the knowing and being empowered and invited and and encouraged emphasis on courage to face what history has been and where it brings us to now and what the potential is from here on out to make choices is um 
to me that 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 immediately feels and allows for flow and an actual for love to come through yeah. and that you know we see the child's heartbreak but that heartbreak is is the salvation for that child the fact that they went to the library and they looked at what's going on they looked it up they followed their curiosity now their heart is broken ah good but now you now you begin and 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 now you're free i mean you're you you have to free yourself in every moment from here on out but but you're free to do that now because you have some of this very important information that was kept from you up until this point so that's what i want to say about discomfort <laughs> i you i'm watching our time we're 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 at the end of our time and i all i can say to you one is how impressed and moved I am at your work and at your um, drive to be a truth speaker to children and to affirm the truth in them about this book and your others in particular. I didn't even get a chance to go on and on and on and say how much I love that you hand write the text. I feel like there's an intentionality in that. I'm always looking at design Mm -hmm. that way and your book feels made to hand to someone i made this for you i can feel the (laughs) thought behind it i don't know if i'm saying that right but i Mm, I hope you hear my heart in it and um i do and and i i i guess i'll just say that i can't wait to talk to you again very very soon which i'm positive will happen but that i'd love that but that moreover anastasia i can't wait to come and talk to you and share with you stories of how my students and I engaged Mm. with your book and what that journey has looked like so far and what I hope it will continue to look like. Thank you so much for dedicating yourself. I would learn so much from from you saying that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say thank you for dedicating yourself to our readers and to these Mm. just topics these just causes that we should be focusing Mm. on thank you to your publisher for giving the opportunity for these books to see the light of day and to get into many many hands and thank you to your instagram account where i can just click i can i'm gonna put the link in the show notes and be like go go look at how anastasia makes art because you are so transparent with how you are playing there and i love that so thank you for everything. Mm. I appreciate who you are and the light you are shining in this world. I wish you could see how much I'm smiling. I feel really, um, I just feel really cherished right now. Thank you so much for saying all those things. I need you to say one more thing and you know about this because it is for those readers. So we'll end that way. And I'm glad I hear you. I hear the smile in your voice. So Anastasia, I will see a library full of children tomorrow morning. Is there a message that I can bring to them from you? Yes. Um, White supremacy and racism, the structure that was set up before you were born, never asked your permission to use you or to have you believe things and say things that they want you to believe and say. So you were never asked to give your consent 
to being a part of a white supremacy, to being a part of a system that favors some and endangers many more. Um, and that is no kind of favor. To be invited into a system that uses you to do harm, that is no kind of favor. That is no gift. There's nothing there for you. And you need no permission to sign off from it and to make your own choices about what love means to you, about your capacity to love and be in connection and be in solidarity with everyone and to learn from everyone's experience and believe what people are telling you about what their experience is, even if it's very different from your own and yours is very different from theirs. And so you get to make your own decision about how you want to express love and be in community and be in solidarity in this moment and for your whole life. And I encourage you to do that with my whole heart. And I appreciate your curiosity. The Children's Book Podcast is recorded and produced by me, Matthew Winner, in my library studio in Ellicott City, Maryland. You can subscribe to the podcast and access the archive of over 600 episodes at matthewcwinner.com. Our theme music is by Poddington Bear, care of the free music archive. All views and opinions expressed on the show are those of the individuals and don't reflect the ideas or viewpoints of the publishers of the books referenced. Want to help out the show? Become a patron, and you can directly impact and help to sustain the podcast. Writing a review on iTunes or sharing the podcast with friends through Facebook, Twitter, word of mouth, or any other means helps reach more listeners, which leads to more content and more amazing guests. And that is a very good thing indeed. We know you value what you put in front of your kids, especially when it comes to screens and podcasts. That's why we're excited to share a new podcast from our friends at Sleepiest, creating bedtime stories to help your kids fall asleep fast. Hello, Abby here. If you've got children and find bedtimes a struggle, I'd like to tell you about Coco Sleep, a children's story podcast designed to make bedtime a dream. Coco Sleep turns a chaotic bedtime into cozy bonding time. The stories are delivered in a pace that gently slows. Rumour has it that no one's ever heard an ending. So search Coco Sleep on your favourite podcast app and let's make bedtime a dream. That's K-O-K-O Sleep and I'll see you there.